friends. Welcome to another episode of Custom Made Kid. I'm your host, Amy Williams. If you're new here, I'm excited you've joined us today. This podcast is a place where real conversations about infertility, foster care, and adoption happen. My hope is that by the end of today's episode, you've learned something, been challenged, are encouraged in some way, or maybe feel less alone. We all have our own unique journey. No two are the same, and no one's is perfect. On today's episode of the Custom Made Kid podcast, I'm joined by Christy Bush. Christy is a wife, mom of two teen boys, and a business owner who educates and consults nationally on social media safety and awareness. I think we can all agree that social media can provide community and foster connection, but it can also be a dangerous place for our kids. Christy is passionate about empowering parents with the knowledge and tools on how to strike a balance between safety and reality when it comes to our kids. I've personally known Christy for several years, and she was one of the first people I reached out to about telling her story on the podcast. As an adoptee herself, she's been able to provide me with insight I wouldn't have had otherwise, as well as encouragement at times when I really needed it. I felt like her perspective is unique because, as she'll tell you herself, her adoption story wasn't a perfect one. The ugly reality is that every foster or adoption dynamic begins with trauma. Christy's struggle to find a place to belong continued throughout her childhood and even into adulthood. Foster care and adoption can at times seem glamorized, so I felt like the perfect place to start was by talking to Christy as an adoptee on how she felt was a good way to have the conversation about adoption, but also talk through some of the thoughts and feelings she believes many adoptees experience. I think you'll really enjoy what she has to say. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. Let's start out by telling our listeners a little bit about you. So tell us about your home life, work, hobbies, things that kind of get you out of bed every day, that 100,000 foot view. Right. All the all the good nitty gritty stuff. Well, a mom. I have two boys. Um, one, I call them my aliens right now because one's 14 and one is 12. <laughs> so um, they are definitely in those really tough, tough years. Um, but love them madly, play a lot of baseball. My husband does a lot of coaching. So we spend a lot of time with them and on the field in the middle of the, uh, South Alabama heat, which is awesome during the summer. So yeah, so we do that. And then my business is KMB communications. I have my own business. I've had it for several years now. Um, and I just travel across the country educating parents and educators and teens and children about social media and how to stay safe and, you know, what the landscape looks like and really and truly trying to balance that safety and uh, reality. And that's such a need right now because there's so much access and then the maturity level may be a little lacking. And so you want to make sure that you don't, you know, crush your kid's social presence, but then also you've got to protect them. Yeah, that's so true. You know, finding a balance is incredibly hard, um, but there's just too much out there that they are exposed to and that they can see, but yet don't have the ability yet to understand what they're looking at. And so that's why I'm such a huge advocate on their behalf and in speaking with parents and trying to get parents to sort of really, I mean, really good, you know, get a good idea about what the landscape looks like. So I think a lot of us don't really know until, you know, until you really know. (laughs) Sure. 
And a lot of what we're talking about today kind of feeds right from that because, I mean, part of that, what those kids are looking for is identity. Yes. And I feel like you as an adoptee, you know, I know that you were in foster care for the early couple weeks of your life and then you were adopted, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was. My my adoptive parents didn't think they could have children, and I think they tried for a while and uh, put in the application process or however sort of that worked. This is the 70s. Um, I was born in 73, so things were much, much different then than they are now. The process was different. Um, all adoptions were closed back then, and there was also, from my understanding, a law that you had to be in foster care for the first few weeks before you're actually placed with your family. Back in the 70s, you weren't allowed to know anything about your biological family until you were 18 years old. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, You know, all records were sealed back then. They were all closed adoptions. Um, And so I grew up not knowing who they were or, or anything about them. And I actually didn't find out until I was Um, an adult. I mean, I think it was probably five years ago when I finally decided to take a look at. Well, so you obviously found out about them as an adult, but at what age did you find out you were actually adopted? Was this a conversation that you had very young or your parents had with you very young? Or was this something that one day you kind of were like, oh, wow, that's a lot of information. (laughs) Right. Um, It's, you know, it's really ironic. My brother and I, people used to say that we looked alike um, all the time, which is, is so interesting to me. But I was told by my adoptive mother when I was, I believe if memory serves me like around seven or eight, I was super young. Um, My dad wasn't in the room. He, I'm not exactly sure where he was. It was evening time. Um, and we were watching a movie and within that movie, there was a family we're talking about my, my brother and I were talking about brothers or sisters or something along those lines. And at that time, my adoptive mother, you know, made the comment, well, you're not ours. You know that, right? Um, Oh man, I hate that ours thing because I mean, I I assume that's an assumption. I'm assuming there's a biological reference there. There is because Kelly, who is my brother, is actually biologically theirs. They got pregnant not too long after they adopted me. Um, So he is biologically theirs. um, So I'm not, you know, biologically related to him. So, yeah, you're exactly right. Okay, but you said I found out fairly young and then you went on to say, I'm about, you know, I was about eight years old, and then it was this sort of, in in my understanding here, a conversation almost in passing, like it's just a movie, and then that comment yeah. comes about. Yeah. And as an adoptive mom with a seven-year-old, I think that's super late, you know, and to each their own. Yeah. I want to be respectful of sure. people who may be listening that sure. chose to wait for their children, and I'm sure they've uh, had their own reasons. But I actually don't think that's so young. I think you've had a lot of time to believe that you're biologically a part of that family. And then to have something like that, did it not just feel like somebody hammered information on you? Yes, um, you're exactly right. Um, You know, talking about feeling like I was young, but I was most certainly old enough to feel the impact of those words. And to have what felt like my entire world ripped away from me because immediately you go to, well, who am I and who are you and who is my brother and what does that mean? Because you right because these were critical that. years that you're establishing this view of yourself and then all of a sudden on a dime yeah. the view shifts. 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Was very um, devastating in a way and very confusing and very hurtful. Um, so from that perspective um, and being an adoptee, absolutely believe that starting the conversation much earlier, you know, as early as possible and having those open conversations in a very safe space you know, with your child about, you know, and whatever that looks like for the family within their family, but making sure it is an open conversation and that it is started early and that they do feel a part of the family because in essence, I was a part of the family and they are a part of the family. Things may look a little bit different as far as how you got there, but you are a part of that family. Now that's actually a lot to do with the premise of custom a kid. As you know, we've talked about this before, but I mean, it kept me up at night and she, Mm -hmm. here is Landry three months old. And I'm already thinking, how am I going to tell her? Because I didn't want to get to the point where you were, where it was just this bomb that got dropped one day. And then it kind of called into question everything else I'd told her about life and reality and who she was and who we were to her. The, the concept of the Custom Made Kid book is really about starting that conversation early in, in that children's mm-hmm. book format. And I know there are tons of wonderful books out there, um, but I just felt like I wanted to tell her in my own way. Yes. But, you know, I definitely think that it would probably be, feel less impactful in a negative way right. if it's just always been a part of the story. Do you feel that way or is that just me as, you know, kind of putting on my rose-colored glasses? <laughs> no, I think that you are absolutely right. And I've, I mean, I love, love, love what you have done with this book and, um, and what you are doing, you know, with, with your daughter and having those conversations early, you were exactly right. There's always going to be in that child's mind, you know, curiosity, even as they get older about being adopted and genetics and so on and so forth, sort of that landscape changes a bit as they get older and what they get curious about. But having those conversations, like you said, so early and letting them know, we love you. Um, Mm -hmm. You are a part of the family. We've always wanted you to be here. And that sets up such a wonderful place for that child to be in their space with the family that a lot of the stress I think that I felt throughout the rest of my life would not have been felt because you feel supported and wanted and as if you were actually a part of the family, which you are, you know. Well, and you are a part of the family. It's not... You know, as if you are, you are in an ideal situation, they are family. There's no ours and theirs kind of thing. It wouldn't be like that. So transitioning just a little bit, I have two biological daughters recently, as Mm -hmm. you know, but our listening audience may not. And then Landry, our oldest daughter, is seven years old. And so there's quite a gap in there. And you know, she ended up asking me one day, when are you going to get a baby in your tummy? And I said, well, I'm not. Remember, you grew in my heart. My tummy's broken. She's like, I'm going to pray about that. (laughs) And then now we have two, and it it was preferentially a sister. So we have two baby sisters. So apparently her prayers were extra effective. (laughs) Right. But, you know, that is something that initially when I found out I was pregnant, because I had come to this place where I was completely satisfied Mm -hmm. with that dynamic that I had and had long moved past the pain that I had Mm -hmm. felt with infertility and thought, okay, this is just God's plan for me. Sure. And then there was this chapter, next chapter kind (laughs) of deal. Um, 
But one of the things that I was thinking is in your in this dynamic, when your brother is was he delivered that information at the same time that you were? He was. Um, and so he had questions as well. He was in the room. He didn't understand. And we were only given the answer. Um, you were adopted and we had your brother. And that was really um, polarizing, I would think. Yes, yes, it was very much so. And sort of set that tone, you know, for the rest of for the rest of our life, um, even though we were very close certainly created this very odd division that, that happened. So it was just not explained well enough. And my mother had and has her issues. We are estranged and do not speak, but, um, she has some mental health issues, um, that I think played a part in, in her inability to be able to sort of effectively parent and to be able to effectively explain to, you know, myself and my brother exactly what, adoption meant or what it means. Tell me if I'm wrong, because Mm -hmm. I never want to speak for you, but you know, adoption in the seventies versus adoption. Now, like you mentioned, it was a closed dynamic. It was very cut and dry, black and white. And now in the present day, you know, you have open adoptions where the families are very communicative and then you have semi-open adoptions where information passes, but in a, in a controlled format. Mm -hmm. And then you do have the closed adoptions Mm -hmm. if that's what someone had elected. Mm -hmm. And I know that about five years ago, you mentioned that you had found information out about your biological family, Mm -hmm. but you had respected the wishes of your biological mother not to make contact. Yes. Yeah. If in a perfect world back then, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about your identity crisis in a sense, once you find this out, which rightly so, if in a perfect world you had been able to openly ask those questions or even meet your biological mother, I mean, maybe it was just circumstances beyond her control back then, because I think adoption can be a very brave thing, Yes, you know, done right and well. Yes. Um, And I always want to honor the biological family. Sure. But do you think that would have been helpful had she been willing? You know, I mean, there's obviously that. But had she been willing to have that dynamic with you and answer questions and you could know more information, would that have been helpful to you? Most certainly. Um, I, I certainly wasn't getting those questions answered at my home. Um, it was told that I was adopted and then it was like, you know, we don't speak about it again. Again, going back to things in the 70s were very different. Um, so there wasn't as much discussion of feelings around anything, you know, mm-hmm. sort of back then. It certainly would have been helpful. I think I spent many, many years wondering who she was. I never wondered who my father was, my biological father, because I had a wonderful adoptive father. I still do. We're still incredibly close and he's one of my best friends and very involved, obviously, in my life. That's wonderful. Um, He basically saved my life. I say that all the time because I ended up living with him after, you know, um, they divorced. But with her, I think when there's a very a hard time, a rough time that I experienced with my biological mother, certainly as a child, you reach out and think, well, what would my, you know, I mean, excuse me, with my adoptive mother, what would my biological mother be like? Or, you know, what did it starts as basic as what does she look like? And do I look like her? Um, well, sure. And I'm sure it's almost like you glamorize it potentially. You know, it's like if you can't have the cookie, you want the cookie. Sure, sure. You know, so I feel like in a way, because the information wasn't there, it probably had a greater pull 
yes. to you yes. um, than it would have had you been able to satisfy some of those questions about who you were and why, maybe. Oh, for sure. Um, and you're exactly right. I think it does glamorize it in a way. You sort of have these ideas and these dreams of what she would look like or who she is. As I got older um, and was able to process process things differently and able to understand from a different perspective, from an adult perspective, an adult set of eyes that, you know, respecting her where she was, she was very young. She was 16 when she had me. And when I was young, because I was living in an abusive situation, was very angry for not having any information, was very angry for her giving me up for adoption. But as I got older, was able to move out of that space and into what she did was amazing, you mm-hmm. know, at 16 to be able to have the foresight and say, I cannot care for this child, but I want to give her a better home or a better life or, or whatever, and able to meet her where she was at 16. And that happened for me probably at around 15 and 16, which is um, very interesting. Well, kind of when you reach the age where she was and could yeah. put yourself maybe a little more in her shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. Before we continue, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to the Custom Made Kid podcast. Don't miss out on future episodes. If you or someone you know has a foster or adoption story that needs to be told, I'd love to hear from you. Email connect at custommadekid.com. You know, as an adoptive mother, I have to confess here (laughs) that there's a part of me, and I think a lot of people... And, and I do have a semi-open adoption with Landry's mother. Mm-hmm. and But there is this fear, I think, in people sure. that if you were to introduce the biological parent sure. and you've, you've kind of put all in all this time and effort and love and mm-hmm. all of those things and you were to introduce that component, there's a fear there that you would be the one to lose out. So it's yeah. a privilege in a way, mm-hmm. you know, that I think the adoptive families can struggle with at times when in reality, if you come at it from a Christian perspective, mm-hmm. you know, I've all, I always have to remind myself, these kids are on loan anyway, you right. know, so <laughs> right. I don't get to call those shots really. <laughs> and whatever is in her best interest should be what I allow. Right? right. Yeah. But, you know, as an adoptee, you can go ahead and tell me how wrong I am here. You know, <laughs> I want to hear from you why, a parent that's sitting in my shoes struggling with that, should I have been more open with it? Or if they've got a child at home struggling with identity the way that you have talked about you are, Mm -hmm. and they have the capability to open that door, why should they from your perspective? I'd love to hear your thoughts on why it wouldn't be quite as bad or scary or whatever that they may be worried about. Yeah, I think a little bit of it is I have a parent perspective now. So I completely understand, you know, if I had adopted my boys, the other side of that coin, if there is a mom out there that I would have, not have to, but at some point have those discussions with my children and think about sharing their life with um, is incredibly frightening. It's scary, you know, Um, but think from an adoptee perspective, you guys are doing exactly what you need to be doing with your daughter and with your daughters and how that you're raising them and how you're having those open conversations. And I have just always been of the opinion that, you know, if I had been raised with those open conversations 
if I had been raised with the ability to see or talk to my biological mother, there wouldn't have been a pull. It wouldn't have been as glamorized. There wouldn't have been a need to be with her because my family, your family is who loves you, who does every day with you, who's in the trenches with you, who does the celebrations with you, who does all of life with you. Mm -hmm. Um, that's your family and kids know that. And I know, you know, my kids know that. I know that your children know that as much as they give us grief. And sometimes we wonder <laughs> how much they right. know. <laughs> if we should put them out on the curb. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> my alien children right now, but they do know and they do hear and they do recognize the love. And so having that contact as frightening as it is as a parent may not be as big as we think it is in their own mind. Sure. Part of it well, is curiosity, I think. And you know, I think the adoptive community, I think social media has actually done a pretty beautiful thing for adoption, which is make it more not mainstream is a bad word but right there's a lot more information out there about adoption and foster care and families going through similar things as your family may you know so if you are needing a resource it's out there or if you need somebody to talk to it's out there and it doesn't have quite the don't talk about it this is just something we're doing quietly as a family anymore there is a very glamorized version of it that is a total, this is beauty for ashes kind of deal. And in an ideal situation, it would be that. And so I, as an adoptive parent, feel sort of a positive bias, I guess, to the adoption community. Mm -hmm. And I've had to remind myself over and over again that adoption and foster care starts with trauma. Yes. You know, it is a separation of that biological component. And it's wonderful that there are people that are willing to stand in the gap and that are willing to love these children the same as biology, equal heirs, which is how it should be in my mind. Yeah. But we have to remember that's not always the story. I mean, you came out of foster care into adoption, Mm -hmm. into a dynamic where they eventually did have the biological son that you mentioned, that Mm -hmm. your brother, Mm -hmm. and you didn't, feel that positivity necessarily about this. It was a wonderful thing. And you did say you have your dad who saved you. Yes. You know, we like to think, I think as adoptive parents, that we're doing a wonderful thing when in reality, not all stories are wonderful. You know, you're exactly right. I worked with, you know, my licensed social worker. And so the very beginning of my career, I worked with abused children. I was a child abuse investigator and I worked with foster care kids. Um, I worked at a children's home for three and a half years and you are exactly right. It starts with trauma and it doesn't always end the best. You don't always end up in the best place. Children in their placement do not always end up in the best placed home Mm. Um, for whatever reason and whatever that looks like at whatever age from the very beginning, like you guys are doing. And, and that's, I guess what I really want to stress to everyone is even though I came from a traumatic situation. Um, It wouldn't have been if there was more open conversation, if there Mm -hmm. was more of a safe space where I felt where I could open, you know, openly and honestly ask questions and not be met with sort of resistance or we don't talk about that or we're not going to talk about that. Because there's going to be questions. There should be questions. There should be. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. So I think that for a lot of the parents that are out there that are adopting, 
keeping that in mind, whether it's a closed adoption or semi or open or whatever that looks like, just making sure that the child is able to have a place where they can go in a safe space with a family and ask questions openly and honestly without fear of any sort of anger or retaliation or of feelings getting hurt. Because I think when children are curious, like I know when my children ask me things sometimes, it hurts my feelings and it shouldn't if sometimes I keep it in the perspective of they're curious and the age that they are at. So it's not necessarily against me or because of me. It is just because of where they are. Um, Right. Just give them a little grace for the maturity level that they're at. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so coming from that wounded place that you talked about, you know, and that was something that obviously at eight years old, shifted your identity. It put you in sort of a crisis mode from then on out. What I want to talk about for a minute is how did healing take place? How did you come to the place where you could talk like this about it so openly about something that was painful for you? When did that healing take place and how did you get there? I think part of it started taking place, like I was saying, when I was a teenager and Well, the catalyst was moving out of that environment. My parents got divorced and I moved in with my adoptive father. So it removed me from the toxic environment that I was in. But certainly wasn't a space that he and I discussed any of the adoption issues either. As I got older, having enough grace to recognize where my biological mother was coming from, trying to see things a little bit from her perspective, somehow I think I muddled through that on my own. And part of that is also becoming a social worker. I knew in middle school as a result of sort of the trauma and the things that I experienced without a doubt that I was going to help children. I just knew. I knew that's where my place was without a doubt. Um, Well, and so that's actually a neat component of your story, I feel like, is that while you did experience that pain, and I wish you had not, Mm -hmm. it did sort of set your path in a way. Is that an okay way to Oh, for sure. That? Absolutely. There is certainly a, I guess, is, I don't know if the right term is silver lining to everything, but um, there is a reason why that happened. And I, the, the ability that I have or had or still have to relate to children, to teens that are in foster care or that have been in abusive situations or that are adopted has served me so well over the years and what I have done over the years and working with children and teens. So it just put me in this really great space to be able to be a support system for those kids over the years, for them to have a place to come and have those conversations, sort of release some of those fears. So while it was hard and, and, and difficult and terrible, some of the things I experienced, it turned out to help me grow to where I am now. What I do now with social media all becomes about protection of children and trying to prevent trauma. I'm sad that you went through it, but I Mm. actually heard a quote today and somebody was saying that if you share food or you share money, it's divided. But if you share knowledge, it's multiplied. Yeah. And I feel like your story and your pain, even though I would never wish it on anyone, Mm -hmm. the ripple effect of what you've been able to do because you understand those children and that perspective Mm -hmm. is a wonderful thing. Thank you. 
like I said, was that calling in middle school. I knew without a doubt that um, I wanted to help people that are, you know, teens, not people, but, you know, teenagers that were going through possibly the same thing that, that I was going through or that I had been through. So yeah, that ripple effect has been, has been very interesting and has been lifelong. Um, no matter what I've done, it has always sort of come full circle. Definitely still there for sure. So um, yeah, that relatable, that relatable point, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, so to kind of wrap things up and close, let's talk about from an adoptee perspective, if you could say in just a few sentences, what I wish you knew about adoption. You know, if you were speaking to adoptive parents from the adoptee mm-hmm. perspective or other adoptees, you know, young children, if you had something to say to them, I'm kind of leaving the floor open and putting you on the spot, but (laughs) I would love to hear your wisdom in this area so that those listening can have a takeaway. You know, like I said, I think it is about open communication. Um, I wish I had had that space. If, if there was anything that I wish I had had, um, as a child and in finding out that I was adopted. And then as I sort of navigated those waters was that I would have had the open communication about it and not even so much, you know, necessarily having to see or speak with my biological mother, but just having the communication about, you know, little questions. What do I look like? Where do I come from? How did I get here? And then knowing there is a safe space to be able to ask any question I wanted to ask without fear of hurting my adopted parents' um, feelings. Or repercussions. Yes, or any, yes, exactly, any repercussions from that. Um, I think for adoptive parents, definitely keeping your child in that safe space for open conversation, but also encouraging them not to be fearful of the questions that may come not to be fearful of the curiosity and definitely not to take it personally. Kids are kids. And when they hit those teenage years, they may hear you're not my mother. You're not my father. Just because kids like to dig sometimes. Um, that's what they do. They know how to push buttons, but understanding that those words don't mean that and understanding that Children have obviously different phases of life they go through, some easier than others, and um, always going to be curious, which is wonderful. That's how they learn. That's how they grow. That's how we get them to where they're big enough to get out of our house and go at least (laughs) fix some food and wash a few clothes and be okay. So just for the parents to know, don't be afraid of the words that your child's going to have to speak with you and discuss with you and to guard, not so much guard your heart, but just be understanding that they, what they're saying is not always meant to be hurtful, but may come from a very curious place. Absolutely. Well, and I think sometimes we have to say things to realize just how terrible they sound. Right. You know, so if an adoptive child does say, you're not my mom or you're not my dad, that may be something they needed to say. It doesn't mean it actually reflects their heart, I believe. Now, fast forward, though, when that's said to me one day, and we'll see how good I am. <laughs> we'll have to get back <laughs> to on here and talk that. about that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That'll be another podcast. Right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I've loved talking to you today. If someone in the listening audience wanted to connect with you yes. or to find out even more about your business, yeah, tell me how they would do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um knbcommunications.com is my website. They can find me there. 
or I run a page. It's called Crack the Code, um, and I post lots and lots of information for parents about social media and the landscape. I try to only put on there what I feel like is going to be helpful. I don't post a bunch of a bunch of junk, so they can message me through that. And if they would like to email me, certainly can email me at kmbcommunications at yahoo.com. So um, I'll respond to any of that. Perfect. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. So if you guys missed that out there, I'll have a place for you to find it. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you again. And I'll be in touch soon. Thank you for joining our show today. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of the Custom Made Kid podcast. To learn more about the vision behind the Custom Made Kid Foundation, you can visit our website at custommadekid.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again, and I'm already looking forward to our next episode this same time next week.